listening to Spitball with Adri Ballhawk Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to the week 13 edition of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Ballhawk Mallows. With me this week is everyone's favourite master of the innuendo, Marcus Innuendo Bingo Hanson. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Good, good. I wanted to come up with a nice little introduction for you, you know, trying to mix it up every week. How's it sounding so far? It, it sounds great. Good, good. Happy with it? Yes. Excellent. That's what we like to hear. This week was good old Thanksgiving Thursday and Turkey Bowl weekend for a lot of our American families and friends. We hope you all had a fantastic holiday again with your friends and family, enjoying the football and turkey and cranberries and stuffing and, and all sorts that you would have had on that day. With Thanksgiving, we also then get treated to three Thursday night football games. So which of the Thursday night games would you like to talk about first, Marcus? I think the one that really took my interest was, I believe we were talking last week about how Detroit never win on Thanksgiving there may have been one of us who made a small deal about how they hadn't won on Thanksgiving for for 10 years but I can't remember which one of us that was was it the same person who said that in their predictions that Detroit would win minus this premonition or curse curse yeah <laughs> well yeah so it was me that was saying that they would get destroyed wasn't it but you rightly said that they would win so um, whereabouts on the Detroit performance do you want to start it was it was one of those ones where it was, it was quite funny because you watched the first half and watched how Detroit kind of beat themselves up yeah, three turnovers. And turnovers. Yep. And that was that was kind of crazy. I mean, Stafford, we know he likes to throw a couple of interceptions, but it was Detroit, like you said, when I was watching it, I almost thought they were cursed with how much they were killing themselves. Yeah, the Reggie, I'm not going to fumble it ever again, whoops, there goes the ball, Bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair to him, though, it was more, that ball did get smacked out, but even still, you can't, as they said in commentary, you can't ever say you're you're not going to fumble again for the rest of the season because regardless of how much you train yourself to hold on to that ball there'll always be a, like a helmet shot to the arm that you can't take into account you know those kind of little things that will end up with the ball just being fumbled anyway and it's kind of outside your control the Detroit running game was actually pretty impressive after that yes yeah very much so yeah Reggie so was, was uh, of... on fire on the turf yeah but he got all the bad out of the way and he could then just get down and focus on the good but it was him him and Bell both pretty much put almost 100 yards each up. Do we think it helps, obviously, that uh, Green Bay were playing with, with Matt Flynn? I know we briefly mentioned again it last week, but they did seem to really struggle with Matt Flynn this week. Were Detroit really playing that well on defence, or was it a lack of execution on offence? Two words to uh, to sell that it was a great defensive performance rather than just a bad Flynn performance, and that is seven sacks. That's a lot of sacks. You can't get to the quarterback that much, I suppose, and expect to come away with a win. I mean, don't get me wrong, Flynn had a kind of a Stonkery as well. I mean, he had about 130 yards, no touchdowns, an interception. Get this for a quarterback rating 2.1. So, do you mean Stinker as opposed to Stonker? Because Stonker would imply he had a great game. Yes, Stinker. Did I say Stonker? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> it's so easy uh, yeah, to get I mean... those two confused. <laughs> I say Stinker, was... you say Stonker. It, it wasn't just his fault. I mean, the entire offensive line, I mean, they gave nothing. That Lacey got no yards. There was no production out of anyone. It just completely the offense just ground to a halt, and I think that has to go on the back of 
of the defensive performance, really. No worries. So, as a question, would you play Tolzien or Flynn if Rogers can't go, which is looking likely in the next game? I'd still have to give it just slightly to Flynn, just because you've clearly brought him in under the interpretation that he's going to be the guy. So therefore, you've got to you know you've got to get the most bang out of the bucks that you paid for him. So you never know. You never know. He could he could come good for them. I mean. I doubt it, but you are playing Atlanta, so... Well, true, what they were saying, <laughs> I thought it was quite funny, actually. One of the things they uh, mentioned in commentary during the D- Detroit game was, uh, I think, uh, after this game, I think we said he got about, what, 100-odd something yards? So they uh, they said that in his last two games, he's thrown for over 500 yards, so he's averaged, like, 250 yards a game because his last game, proper game for Green Bay, of course, being the, uh, the game at the end of the season where he set the records and stuff, so... His last two starts, his stats are looking pretty good. <laughs> One last thing, actually, on the the Detroit Green Bay game. I mean, that uh, that Kevin Ogletree catch, the one-handed job to score the touchdown. I mean, the precision needed, the footwork. That's what separates you from the rest as a wide receiver, isn't it? Yes, I mean that that they were completely precision passed. It was the delicate feet keeping them inside the uh, inside the green, and the hands the just the know-it-all to, to turn around and just grab the ball in space perfect and the toe drag every time I see the toe drag or the dot of the toe it just looks so so impressive right let's uh, crack on then so we had uh, two other games on Thanksgiving we've got Dallas versus Oakland or Pittsburgh versus Baltimore so where do you want to go next big man uh, uh, the, the Dallas-Oakland game even though Oakland kind of put up a sort of fight to make it semi-interesting to be fair, it, it sort of had Dallas had it more or less in control, whereas the the Baltimore game had a bit more spice in it. Rather, that was a bit more enjoyable to watch with not quite a full comeback, but almost like a mini comeback by uh, by the Steelers. Oh uh, right, yeah, sorry, yeah, so I see what you mean. So basically, you don't really want to talk too much about the Dallas game. We should probably skip straight on to Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Then that's effectively what you're saying. Sorry, Cowboy and Raiders fans, but yeah. Okay, well, Cowboy and Raiders fans. Please, you know, feel free to go to NFL.com and uh, check out the the highlights of of that game as uh, Marcus clearly doesn't feel there was that many. So, Pittsburgh versus... I'm putting that one all on you, by the way, buddy. It's your fault. If we get any complaints, you're the reason why we haven't covered that game this week. Pittsburgh-Baltimore, big uh, AFC North division battle. Um, I thought Torrey Smith had a relatively big day and uh, Murphy's Law, bearing in mind I didn't put him uh, in my fantasy team this week. Uh, Well, that's always the way. But no, it was... It great ramifications here because of course both teams chasing one of the AFC wildcard well pretty much unless there's a, a cataclysmic fail now from the likes of Kansas City three losses on a trot I don't know but it looks like there's only one more AFC wildcard space up for grabs and people like Pittsburgh and Baltimore they need to have these win games to try and even have a hope of securing it yeah absolutely and uh, Justin Tucker as well uh, I thought he had a bit of a monster performance didn't he it's not very often five field goals and one extra point it was uh, reminiscent of an old England rugby performance where they just kept chipping away and getting all the points that they could and then just finishing it off with uh, with one touchdown all of them were over 30 yards so there's it, I mean they opened up with a touchdown but then it just the Steeler defence went back to being almost quite Steeler-esque of shutting down um, offences and only allowing three point chunks at a time. That's it and uh, a couple of other talking points really from that game Le'Veon Bell's uh, injury, the uh, the concussion he suffered 
with that hit on mm. the goal line where his helmet just come flying off. Every time I see that, I cringe. It yeah, just looks no. terrific. Yeah, it's one of those... It's, you understand why they desperately try and get the head out of the game. I mean, it's for reasons like that. Absolutely, and um, hope, it seems like he's making a, a good recovery from it. And um, from what I was reading earlier on today, he uh, is expecting to to play again at the weekend so we'll see how that goes but obviously the great thing about the NFL all these things uh, anytime a player suffers a concussion they all have to go and see the the doctors and neurologists and everything before they can actually be cleared to play again at the weekend uh, which is definitely something we like to see yeah I mean it's definitely the way you've got to go I know now that sometimes they they give you like they enforce after a concussion is it a five-day not allowed to pad up for five days immediately afterwards or uh, it, I think it's something along those lines isn't it they're certainly limited as to what training they can carry out after they've suffered a concussion it, which is the the right way to go about it and I mean ones like that that's just playing those sort of I mean the the, the tackle itself the injury it's just that's just through the grounding out that's just part of the, the the game itself and you you can't really stop that I think as much it's it's the the cheap headshots. I think they really they are looking to really sort of discount from the game, but unfortunate. Yeah, definitely. And uh, one last thing, because I I saw the highlights of this one, but I didn't really see what happened on the Jacoby Jones return. So I'm hoping um, maybe you can shed some light on that for me as to what Mike Tomlin actually did to interfere with him on his run back. Right. Well, what happened was. Mike Tomlin does this casual sort of I'm facing the other way that you're running. He's not on the pitch, but at the same time he's not off the pitch. He's literally straddling the the, the whitewash of the sidelines just so that way he's kind of in the in the zone, which makes him think that I've got to now move inward because I can't risk running into the coach that's not looking at me. Though clearly you can see his eyes, he's looking at Jacoby Jones coming at him behind behind him from the Jumbotron while being chased by three free Steeler defenders this forces him inside um, he makes a big song of dance like oh I didn't see you there whereas Jacoby Jones goes inside and, and then gets tackled within two yards of making this move because there's a defender there oh, yeah, so, it's like, so he's basically forced him uh, further in, in, into the pit so further inside instead of being able to hug the sideline and, and maintain instead the speed that he's got the sideline, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's the idea and the, it is a really terrible almost you can tell it's fake about how he uh, oh I didn't see you there sort of thing almost like it's a stroll in the park on a leisurely Sunday afternoon or should I say a Thursday evening in this case if we can see from the video replays that uh, he's looking at him on the jumbotron and he's doing that sort of thing deliberately then uh, I think we can expect either a fine or some form of sideline suspension maybe coming his way in the not too distant future let's move on then to Monday Night Football New Orleans versus Seattle the big big game of the week so if New Orleans lost it puts Carolina right back in the swing of things for that NFC South title and Seattle obviously on a roll at the moment and looking to try and secure the NFC West so what did we make of this one big man I thought it was exhilarating it was just what we expected from it it was probably one of the first times you've seen Drew Brees really shut down like that. It was defensively masterclass. The only only thing they, that really allowed them to get out was Ingram, Sproles, Thomas. Nothing in the ground game shut down the. Oh, it was just brilliant. Being a defensive player, I loved watching the highlights from this. Yeah, I can imagine. As you say, great stop to keep New Orleans Saints to seven points. I think I read that it was the first time they'd been kept to seven points since. Sean Payton came in since one of his first games in charge back in 2008 so a hell of an achievement 
Uh, as you say, keeping Breeze to one touchdown, forcing a Breeze fumble. Russell Wilson controlling the game, three touchdowns. And how about someone we don't really tend to mention too often on the uh, podcast, but someone I wanted to give a bit of a shout out to because I kind of think he's an unsung hero there in, in Seattle and that's Doug Baldwin I think he makes some great clutch receptions and uh, maybe we don't t- tend to give him the credit he deserves I'm sure everyone in Seattle does but uh, we certainly don't seem to uh, on our podcast so what do you say to that? I think he is he is becoming a solid receiver they've got nice a nice group of receivers actually up in Seattle that are all sort of underrated Baldwin, Tate, um, Curse you know that none of them are really sort of you think of you know say rice and stuff like that when he went out there and you know and percy harvin percy harvin of course and those are the big names but who are the guys actually putting in it week in week in week out and of course russell wilson isn't a kind of quarterback who has his one favorite guy who's going to get all the sort of passes sort of thrown his way sort of if looking at the other side of the ball someone like jimmy graham absorbs a lot of the sort of Drew Brees' targets. Yeah, and as a random question for you, who is the better tight end? I know my answer to this, Rob Gronkowski or Jimmy Graham? <sighs> All-rounded? I'd have to say Graham because he's a slightly better blocker than Gronk. Uh, okay, fair so, yeah, if, we, if, we, if we're saying all-round, we're going with Graham, but if we're going for best receiving tight end? It, it's very hard to split them. I mean, I guess Gronk would be the better one because he makes more of an impact with his team because especially with this new receiving core that New England have got compared to say New Orleans they have got Colston they have got um, Lance Moore and Meacham and, and that, that that Stills the, the young kid um, Stills is brilliant I think uh, he had a very quiet game but again all the receivers had a very quiet game yeah and on the subject of uh, Gronkowski, I think if you haven't had the chance yet, you definitely need to head over to this week's blog, catch up on uh, the write-up of this week's action. And also, for the first time in a very, 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 very long time, I've actually included the NFL's top five catches of the week, where you will see a fantastic diving effort by Rob Gronkowski. So that's www.ballhawksnest.weebly.com um, and click on the lowdown. So let's finish off our game talk with Chicago versus Minnesota in the how many field goals does it take to win a game overtime match. (laughs) 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 And also, I can see the logic of kicking a field goal on third down, but why would you try one on second down, Marcus? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, um, mean, there's no grind my gears this week, but I think if one of the things we could have discussed about grinding my gears was, (laughs) like you said, how many field goals... It's like that uh, the, the question, how many people does it take to screw in a light bulb? Well, how many field goals does it take to win a football game? I believe four. <laughs> Something too like that. Too many. I think too yeah. many is the case here. It was uh, For what it's been, uh, you look to where Minnesota are and compare it with what the Bears are this year. This, In my mind, really, this should have just been a wipeout. I mean, Bears should have just come in and just gone, thank you. I mean, the last couple of weeks they've had to, you know, playing at home in Soldier Field, they've had some horrific weather conditions to play in. Yeah, that's absolutely right, yeah. But again, I mean, going into overtime against the Ravens after that, you know, the washout, but then suddenly having another overtime game here, but against the Vikings, I mean... I can understand the Ravens. The Ravens, they they play that kind of football. But Minnesota, with with Castle under the helm, I mean, they even swapped out. They brought Ponder in as well. It's just all over the place. They can't decide. Peterson having a monster game as he does. Yeah, absolutely, he does. But again, it's it falls down on that Chicago defense. It's missing some very big key players on there. With Lance Briggs obviously being out, no Brian Urlacher anymore. 
Um, I even think their top linebacker prospect was is out injured as well. I'm not, I can't think of his name um, at the moment. But to have so many key players missing on defense, obviously with Peanut Tillman being out as well, then a lot of your leading tacklers have just been yoinked out of that team. I mean, yes, it definitely is. I mean, and you saw how much it meant because they've got the likes of um, Bostic in there. Now, Bostic actually had a, a you know a really good game, and I think he's going to mature into a really good player. Um, and the likes of Peppers, who they brought in with lots of money to you know make an impact, and he did because he got two and a half sacks. Um, but the whole the whole team doesn't look like it gels, especially that secondary. Whereas we thought, saw last year's secondary absolutely dominate the league. I mean, they were returning interceptions for touchdowns left, right, and centre. You couldn't pass on them. It, it definitely seems to be the weakness now. Seems to be getting over that front seven. Yeah, well, last year it was obviously it was Tillman on one side and uh, it was Tim Jennings, wasn't it, on the other side? And, and having someone like Tillman playing opposite you gives you a lot of <clears throat> freedom to be able to make plays when, and you're also going to see a lot more looks as well because people are going to try and avoid Tillman, and then they were trying to throw towards Jennings, which was just as bad news last year. So we'll leave that there unless there is any other games you want to talk about this week Marcus any from this one yeah any from I this mean, week any you want to talk about uh, well, I, I want to know how Buffalo could lose in overtime in, uh, in Toronto I mean I don't know if we want to talk about that game though okay so that's all we have time for in this segment you are listening to Spitball. Welcome to Football 101 with Professor Ball. And his phenomenal teaching assistant, Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. And this week, I wanted us to cover some expressions you may hear when you're watching football rather than just terminology about players and positions and things. So. The first expression I would like to talk about this week is you may have heard someone say the game is won and lost in the trenches. So, Marcus, what do we mean by won and lost in the trenches? When we say this sort of thing, it's it's kind of a, a war metaphor. We're, we're speaking about the gladiators of the gridiron and all this. Basically, the trenches refers to the guys in both the offensive and defensive line on that line of scrimmage. So um, the, the, the power rule and the, the free-for-all, the back and forth that occurs when the two two forces clash, that sort of yard gap that they hold. And you watch the defensive line absolutely explode from their starting position straight into into the offensive line. It looks like they just hit them almost like a, a Chevy just uh, impaling someone um i was just gonna say a prime example of that then would be as we've already discussed talking about detroit getting seven sacks against green bay you would say that the, the detroit lions defensive line really did win that battle uh with the offensive line hence detroit won it in the trenches and we said they also got their running game going which means that their offense detroit's offensive line were overpowering the green bay defensive line and so again both parts of the trenches detroit just uh took over that game and, and hence why more successful running game putting pressure on the opposing quarterback that's kind of I think that's the best example I can give from this week's action as to winning and losing in the trenches and like we said using this week's example and using the metaphor we used earlier the Green Bay line was completely and utterly shell-shocked by the attack from the Detroit Lions and uh, we have a new listener uh, 
Lewis Crawley, who uh, I'm sure will love the fact that we keep uh, bashing Green Bay because he is actually a Packers fan. So, uh, big shout out to you, and uh, sorry we keep bashing Green Bay at the moment, but they do keep losing. So, unless you can convince them to win a game, I'm afraid it may go on a little bit longer. Uh, anyway, so... Um, Next up is one of my favourite sayings and probably one of yours as well, Marcus. Defences win championships. What are we talking about there? This goes back um, to basically inputting that a good defence can supplement for having an average offence where defence has more of a throw around with turnovers, creating more chances, allowing more games to be won. So you look at your high-powered offences, like we, we spoke of New Orleans, and they've got a very high attacking offence. But when you come up against a very good defence like Seattle, what you tend to find is that if the defence can shut out the offence, you score no points, that means you need your defence to stop the other team scoring points. So it's that, that sort of balance where a good defence is always just slightly heads up on a good offence. That, and we have the other example as well from this season where... Kansas's first nine wins of the season in each of those games they kept their opposition to 17 points or less so it means that if you've only got to score three touchdowns either on offense defense or special teams or combination of of those three so really you only need a touchdown from from <coughs> each team or, or sorry each element of the team on the field then it's a lot easier to win a game um, and you do that by your defense stopping the opposition scoring hence as we say, defences win championships. So finally, I just want to finish off with one last phrase, um, and that is when a defence is being described as a bend but don't break defence. Marcus? Actually, we had a really good example of this earlier when we, we explained how Baltimore kept getting field goals in the second half. And basically, when a, a defence is described as bending but not breaking, what it's doing is you will be at allowed some kind of movement with the ball whether you progress down the field or such or they give up the big play but it doesn't mean that you're always turning that into points or maybe it's the, the, the defence that sort of you put on a lot of yards but you still end up looking at the back of the game and you've only put 17 points to them but you put 400 yards on it basically means that these defences giving up a lot say statistically but when it comes to actually what matters in the game the points they're not giving that many up. Yeah, I think that's that's a fantastic example, and uh, we will leave that one there. You got an orange peanut? Yeah. An orange peanut? Mm -hmm. For me? That's right. Oh, wow. An orange peanut? Well, I accept you. As we don't have anything that's grinded Marcus's gears this week, which I do find quite surprising, because to be honest, you need to put a lot of oil on those bad boys, because they're always being grinded. Uh, <laughs> a bit like how I drive my, my Fiesta, but enough said about that, probably the better. And um, We'll crack on with some player news. I mentioned briefly earlier about uh, Rogers maybe not coming back as, as soon as, as we may have expected. Um, he's going to be undergoing some further tests on the collarbone to see whether... Um, he's going to be able to play within the next couple of weeks. Um, I've also heard that depending on, on Rogers' injury and also depending on whether the Packers lose again this weekend, that they may then just sit Rogers for the rest of the season to not risk him because they're not going to be able to make the playoffs anyway. Does that sound like a wise decision? Yeah, if you're not uh, if you're not looking at being playoff bound, I think you have to put what is best for the team 
and what is best for the team is to have a healthy Aaron Rodgers for next season. That means don't let him pick up any other niggles or don't exacerbate it. So that means you're going to have to go and have surgery off-season. That's the last thing they actually want. Yeah, absolutely. On a positive note, though, I've read that Sean Lee, the middle linebacker for Dallas Cowboys, is set to return for them this weekend. And I think we briefly discussed it uh, last week. I think it's going to make a hell of a difference to their run defence, having him back um, in time for fantasy playoffs as well. So, Mickey, I'm sure, be very happy about that one because he's been racking up the points for him which just goes to show you how much of an impact he's had on the season so far it's it's difficult to describe actually what he does for his team I mean being such a pivotal sort of part you need really them to be back playing full time yeah absolutely and he's going to be a, a great asset to them and well, next up, we uh, we had something that um, I was a little bit taken aback by. It had me in the in the words of Chris Griffin. It had me going, what? and that is the Cleveland Browns signing the Bears' old backup quarterback Caleb Hanning. What what do we think of that, and why would the Browns have done that? Ah, oh, well, I mean, Browns. I mean, no luck with quarterbacks uh, this year. I mean. What have they gone through? They've gone through... Um, Whedon was out temporarily. He's now back. You've got... Uh, they've gone through Campbell. There's another name that I seem to have forgotten right now, but... Oh, that's really bad, really... isn't it? He was... He, because he was a young quarterback, played against the Bills, got injured against the Bills because he got his knee blown out, but he was playing really, really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, I'm afraid it's eluded me, but I do know they've gone through about three, four different quarterback changes this year. It's been... Um, been no consistency injuries are part of the game unfortunately but it's i don't know that, that sounds like an insurance ploy to me nothing really more than that so you don't you don't think he will start you think it's going to be brandon whedon that, that starts yeah i think even they'll say that um okay they, they lost quite a sort of he was actually quite an enthralling game between them and jacksonville in the end um, very competitive but um, you look at what Whedon was actually able to do and I know they keep saying that Whedon's only about 70% or whatever it is but if you're going to put 350 odd yards and then a couple of touchdowns on I know he had a couple of interceptions one of them was unfortunately one of those um, batted off the receiver's hands and it was a sort of tip drill but uh, yeah it's, it's I think you've got to go with uh, you'd rather have a 70-75% Whedon over what do you say Haney? Yeah, Caleb Haney, yeah. I, think I didn't quite say rather, it like that, but that's what I meant. Yeah, you'd rather have a 70 to 75% Brandon Whedon. To finish off this this little segment, it's uh, it's slightly off topic and a, and a bit strange, but to be honest, I know it's something you're probably going to want to talk about because I know how much you love college football and I love college football too. So I thought I would give you a minute or two to talk about the Alabama-Auburn game this past weekend. Go for it. Uh, basically, the entire game was... Uh, punch for punch every time one scored the other one scored every time one of them stopped the other team the the, the other team's defense would stop their offense all came down to the single last wire where Alabama say let's try and win this they've got this superstar kicker who who we know can kick 50 pluses for fun um, so I think it was a 57 yard kick um, they go for it the wind picks up on it a little bit it dips under falls to a sort of receiver waiting at the back of the end zone and he then just decides to run it 110 yards for a touchdown and win it and totally screw up the BCS system oh it has done exactly that because with that loss Alabama get kicked out of the top two don't they so now our top two uh, in the BCS standings are Florida State and Ohio State. Now, depending on what happens in the SEC championship game, I believe, depends on whether Alabama will make it into the BCS bowl game. So I think if they win that, 
and one of the other two lose, then they stand a chance of going straight back into the bowl game. What's messed them up now is because of the loss to Auburn, Auburn get to go and play in the, the SEC Championship game against um, Missouri. Oh, because I thought I was reading something earlier where it said that depending on the results of those games, Alabama might still be able to sneak in. Possibly. That's, that's This is the problem with the college system. I mean... You look at NFL, and uh, for you guys who aren't aware, NFL basically you work through these um, almost like these group stages. The regular season is almost like a massive group stage where the top dogs from all the groups get to go through, and then it goes into a knockout tournament. And basically, college system has a stupid way where coaches vote who they think are the top one to twenty-five. A computer sorts out all their stats and all this stuff and strength of schedule, and sorts out who they think top twenty-five, and you get an average. And that's how they decide. And number one plays number two for the the championship game, for the, the national championship game. And the whole thing's messed up, and that's why they've got to change it. Oh, that's well, they are changing it, to be fair, isn't it? So, they this are, is to the, be this fair. Is the last, last BCS bowl game system, isn't it, With as it currently stands? Yes, it, it's coming in next year in a four-game playoff system. A four-team um, playoff system, you mean? Four-team, four yeah. When I say four-game, sorry, yeah. four-team system and then they're hoping to expand it by I believe it's 2017 if it works. Hang on sorry they're hoping to expand it to about 20 odd teams if it works No no they're hoping to expand it in 2017. Oh sorry apologies okay to what to about 6 or 8 teams something like that. Yeah they said they wanted to give it 3 seasons they can't let judge it on 1 season so they said they're going to give it 3 seasons to try and work if it works they'll expand it Well it would still work because Despite their loss last weekend, Alabama have been probably the best team in college football this year. So for them to then not be part of the playoffs or the, the bowl game on the back of that loss um, does seem a little bit a little bit harsh, to be honest. But um, we will leave college football there for now because I'm sure we could both talk about that for a very long time now we're starting to get into it. So um, I'm going to knock that one on the head there and we're going to move on to the next part. I'm eating burritos bigger than you. It's time to go eat, baby. Let's eat. You got some hungry dogs over here. Apple! Orange! Orange! Hot potato. I don't want no crackers! Hungry, man. I gotta eat it. Feed him, he hungry. Man, you guys didn't eat your Wheaties this morning, did you? We eating all day, bro. We'll brown these guys up and turn them into little bitty eagle meatballs. We now move on to my favorite part of the show, as I always mention, and that is our weekly awards. The time when we get to recognize the special performances up and down the league. Starting with this week, our Mr. Lewis Award. Now, as a runner-up this week, uh, may I start the um, start the proceedings this week, sir? You may, sir. Thank you, sir. I have gone with a runner-up of Trent Cole, uh, defensive end for the Philadelphia Eagles, because during their win over the Arizona Cardinals this week, he had two tackles, both of which were sacks, and one was a forced fumble. It's uh, not just a coincidence that he was also in my fantasy team this week, but all in all, had a great impact on that game, and I thought he deserved to mention. So, who would be your runner-up this week, Marcus? My runner-up, as we were speaking about them earlier, is Ndominkin Sue. Ah, yes, Tackle okay, yes. for Detroit. Yeah, yeah. And basically, a... I mean, we we gave him a lot of stick last year when he was being a bit of a bad boy around the league, and he sort of he sort of cleaned up his act this year. Uh, he had four tackles, of which one was a sack, and that sack was for a safety. Yeah, very impressed that he didn't just dump Flynn on the floor, and that he actually kind of placed him rather than sort of uh, doing anything that that may have drawn either a flag or a fine from the league. He's learning. He's learning. Yeah, he he is young, but he will learn. I believe is the expression. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah. Excellent. So we move on then to my Mr. Ray 
Award winner, my defensive impact player, is the entire Seattle defense. Uh, as we were discussing earlier for their performance against New Orleans, keeping one of the most high-powered offences in the league to just seven points. In the process, forcing one fumble and also only 188 total yards offence for the New Orleans Saints. Um, it's very hard to find a weak link wherever you look across that Seattle defence. So this week, you are my defensive impact Player. How about yourself, Marcus? Me, I must admit, I was very tempted to go for a whole team one as well, but um, I sort of I, I went a scouring around the league and tried to find one person who stood out above the rest of his teammates, and that this week goes to Oliver Vernon, Miami defensive end. Ah, uh, yeah, he had a couple of sacks, I think, didn't he, in their in their win against the Jets? Two and a half sacks, two and a half sacks within his ten tackle count. I mean, uh, he really did sort of pretty much sort of help along with the rest of the Miami D of just completely shut down the game and pretty much I think cement Geno Smith's placement now on that Jets bench. Yeah, I, I thought I saw right. I thought I saw that Geno Smith got benched and they brought in. Uh... Was it Chris Sims they brought in? Yes, they brought in Chris Sims after I believe it was something silly. Like in the time in the entire first half, there was about seventy yards of total offense. It was it was shocking. <laughs> yeah. So what happened to um, McElroy then? Because he was obviously behind Smith and, and Sanchez and, and even Sanchez himself I didn't think Sanchez was still injured I don't know <laughs> all we know is even if he isn't injured he's he's apparently not good enough to play <laughs> yeah <laughs> clearly there's just uh, there is not a single quarterback to be found in the Jets roster okay wow well um, congratulations then to uh, Vernon from Miami Dolphins and the entire Seattle defense uh, for winning this week's Mr. Award. Now we move on to the final award, our Offensive Impact Player, otherwise known as the <laughs> Award. And who is your runner-up this week, Marcus? My runner-up is going to go to Peyton Manning, quarterback, Denver Broncos. Nice choice, nice choice. Good numbers for him again this week. And, well, I say good numbers, it's great numbers really when you look at what he did but I'll let you explain that. 403 yards five touchdowns unfortunately he had two interceptions but still impressive to give himself and his team the crucial win over division rivals Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead which I got wrong. Yeah absolutely and uh, to, to win against Kansas and to start off with the game though it did look as though it was going to be the old uh, Peyton Manning choke artist that we have become a little bit used to seeing in, in key games particularly when he faces off against the likes of the Patriots but, um, but yeah he managed to uh, get his head up keep his head up and uh, pull out the win with those five touchdowns including four touchdowns to Eric Decker wowzers uh, what an impact Woo, bet you wish you had him in your fantasy team yeah I bet I wish I did but uh, I didn't have him but, uh, but Justin had him and uh, he was part of the team that absolutely destroyed Mr. Big Dog himself. So, uh, and I believe we worked out that Justin got the highest score, well, the highest score completely in our fantasy league this year with his 290 something points. So, uh, big win, but that helps having Peyton Manning and, and Eric Decker in your, in your fantasy side. My runner up this week for the award, I've gone with an old faithful, and that is Adrian Peterson, because granted, 
He didn't score any touchdowns this week, but he rattled up 211 yards and just beat up that Chicago defense, forcing them into submission and almost letting them run the ball. Well, there were stages of that game where you didn't think Chicago were going to stop Minnesota at all. And uh, I think Chicago were lucky to get it into overtime, to be honest. But the overtime we're not going to speak about too much because, oh, there goes a field goal. Oh, there goes a field goal. Oh, there goes a field goal. Oh, oh that one went through. Really? So, uh, we'll move on from well, there. I must admit, at one point, I did think they said that no team has ever had back-to-back ties, have they? And I thought the Vikings were going to do it. Yeah, yeah, I thought we were on for another record-breaking uh, record-breaking week. But, um, yeah, so we'll move on now to our <laughs> award winner. Who have you gone with this week, sir? Now, you said record-breaking week, and I think there could be no other just cause than to look at a record-breaker for, to win the Megatron Award this week. I am speaking, of course of Mr. Josh Gordon, wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns. 261 yards and two touchdowns. He is the first player in NFL history to get two back-to-back 200-yard games. Congratulations, sir. Absolutely. I think it's only right that we give him a round of applause, firstly. And also, as you say, for that, he also got my award this week uh, with his, as you say, 261 yards and it wasn't just that it was when the game was on the line with about three minutes to go he caught about a 15 20 yard pass and um, from Whedon spun his defender and ran it 95 yards for a touchdown that sir is impact <laughs> so everything he did every time he touched the ball he looked focused he looked like he knew what he was doing he understood where he had to be helping Whedon out Whedon some of the, some of the throws Whedon was, was throwing towards him weren't great either but his adjustments to the ball were fantastic I mean he really had a presence of mind to come back and grab the ball rather than let the ball come to him that some some young receivers do tend to um, assume that you know you hit the pros and the ball's going to land straight in your numbers but it's not always like that no absolutely not and don't forget if you'd like to let us know who your weekly impact players are then why not send us an email at ballhawksnust at gmail.com oh y'all want the play okay here we go we got gun hulk left slot dixie left key left mercedes wide chip ricky zebra left 75 katie omaha quick go I want to finish off this week by looking ahead to some of the week 14 matchups. Now, without giving away who you think will win, Marcus, what games are you looking forward to the most? I think the game I'm looking forward to the most has to be the now revamped battle for the NFC South. Ah, yeah, okay. Carolina versus New Orleans. The late, late Sunday game. Yeah, that's like a nice little pinnacle to watch there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you say, it's going to be the battle for the top of the NFC South and give the winner of that a real push towards the the playoffs and obviously depending on what happens in that game I mean are San Francisco in any danger of being pushed out the playoffs depending on that particular result I'm not sure I think San Francisco they've got a tough one because they've got Seattle and we saw how well Seattle did but I think San Francisco with the take Seattle out of the last remaining schedule and I think they've got enough wins there to potentially take wildcard slot number two. Yeah, it's probably between them and whoever finishes runner-up in the NFC North, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure. With Chicago losing to the, to the Vikings now, I think really they're going to have to fight out a place. To be fair, I think Philadelphia will still go on to win the East, but I think they're going to have to fight it out with Dallas to get that second uh, playoff. Of rather course. than now, it was the North, but now I think it's moved to the East. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. Actually, I think I think you could be right there, and uh, I will happily stand corrected. And um, one of the games I'm particularly looking forward to thinking of the NFC East. Now, it's not a a divisional matchup, but the Detroit Lions versus the Philadelphia Eagles. That's one that's got the uh, I'll have two tickets to the air show written all over it, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, both with uh, sort of slightly slack secondaries giving up. I mean, Chip Kelly. He's even said that we spoke earlier about bend not break uh, defenses. Chip Kelly is uh, has actually admitted that he runs a bend, don't break kind of defense. Um, but with his high flying um, egos at the moment, hey hey, with Nick Foles and the sort of the aerial sort of like you said aerial display that he can put on, and we know that Stafford's got an arm and he's got Megatron there, but he's got you know it's, it's going to be. I think you should look at sixty plus points on this. Yeah, I I, I, I concur with that one. I think it's going to be a great game to watch, and there should be lots of touchdowns on, on both sides of the ball. So another one I'm looking forward to actually, but from a more uh, smash mouth football point of view uh, and by this I mean it's going to be uh, there's going to be not much skill involved as stupid as that sounds it's all going to be hard hitting it's going to be lots of short runs it's going to be ultimately all about who can take advantage of turnovers and things like that I think and that is Oakland versus the New York Jets oh I agree I think this is especially with like who's going to quarterback we don't know um, for the Jets it's you know, Oakland are doing all right, actually, at the moment. Give them their fair play, you know. They looked like uh, when Pryor went out, we all we all assumed that they were going to have troubles. But um, you know what? They've actually they've adjusted really well. And stuff like the injuries they've had this year, they've, they've plugged up the gaps. You know, Jennings has come in for McFadden. He's done an absolute sterling job. I think, really, this is going to come down to, really, who makes the most mistakes. Whereas I said, Detroit-Philadelphia is going to be 60 points. This is probably going to be six-plus turnovers. I mean, ridiculous. Absolutely. Well, before we move on, I just want to slightly digress. Because um, I know I had it in my show notes somewhere. But I just wanted to, uh, to come to it. And I know we often talk a lot about our fantasy football teams and I'm afraid we're going to do even more so now because we've now reached the playoff stage of our league and have you seen the schedule for next week Marcus? I haven't even decided to look because I'm still so upset from going from 6-2 and two to 7-6. and six. Yeah I can imagine them. well the bad news doesn't really stop for you there because next week in the playoffs you have me. Yeah, <laughs> because I this ended up finishing when third. You drop all the way down the seedings. Yeah, well, I know that feeling because two, three weeks ago I was number one and now I'm number three seed. So uh, I finished with the same record as Mickey, but he absolutely smashed it points wise. So uh, Mickey ten and three, me ten and three, uh, both of us behind uh, our good friend Harry Staszewski who finished with 11-2. and two. This is not bad for uh, what I believe rookie might year. be his, well, his rookie year with us, certainly, yeah. Not bad at all. See, I think he's a ringer. He sat there and said it's his, like, you know, he's never done it before. I think he's a pro. I think he's a pro. That's no, what it no, is. no, no, no. You know what it is, Marcus. It's because he's had time to learn with the best. He's done podcasts with us. You know, we're giving him tips and advice. We're speaking to him all the time. And, um. and I think maybe... You know, so if we, for example, did a team together next year, then I think me and you would win the league hands down because our knowledge is passed off onto Harry and, and hence why he has won our league this year. What do you reckon to that? I don't know. I still think I'd have a second half slump. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, so you pick for uh, the first half of the season and I'll pick it for the second half. Sounds good. <laughs> Nice one. Okay, yeah, so back to the games. In one last game, uh, certainly I'm looking forward to, is Indianapolis versus Cincinnati because of how badly 
both teams seem to be struggling for form at the moment with uh, Cincinnati only managing to scrape past San Diego this week and uh, the same can really be said for the Colts against the Titans this last week yes I mean really the Titans self imploded that's what gave Indianapolis the win um, same with Cincinnati Cincinnati um, it was all defensive with them really coming through when they needed to to suddenly stop what was looking like a very proactive um, San Diego offense and they just managed to stop them when they needed to no worries right so um, is there any other games you're looking forward to Marcus uh, well the only other one that really started to if you'd asked me at the beginning of the year I would have just breezed it off but now the fact that Jacksonville have found some form and Houston with an amazing performance against you've got to give it an amazing performance against the Patriots oh um, yeah yes it, Though they didn't win, I was so impressed. Considering that's the Thursday night game, and it's it's got it's it's on prime time. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's all you have to say about that one. So, um, of the the games this week, who would be your now? I was speaking about it earlier, and um, I, I'm, I'm still brought back to the Carolina New Orleans game, and watching how the defense managed to stop the Saints. I, I I'm I'm looking for a repeat here with my. Uh, my swing going for Carolina. We've got a 65-35 in their favour. Oh, fair play, mate. Fair play. And um, I will just go ahead and uh, and mark that against your picks, which we'll come on to very shortly. My one is going to be, uh, I think you'll like this one, because I'm going with St. Louis over Arizona with a 60% swing. I just think that the way that St. Louis defence has been playing lately, um, as well as uh, the running game with Cunningham and Stacey that we've spoken about, so they should have a great performance against a uh, a temperamental Cardinals defence. I think they'll either be amazing or they will be run all over, so we'll wait and see what, what happens there. Um, as I say, we're going to finish off now with your weekly picks. Uh, last week, do you have an idea of how well you did? Uh, I think I got the first three right, and then I got thanksgiving right and then after that i can't remember right well you sir you got uh 10 out of 16 right last week Woo! so i'd say you've got have you as you rightly say you got the first three right in thanksgiving and um, you called uh oh hang on yeah you called jacksonville versus cleveland because you said oh hang on no you didn't whoa no hang on no <gasps> controversy no, no there isn't controversy no i only gave you four out of five because you got the jacksonville wrong wrong but you got the colts one right because i did them in groups of five so that's why i was getting myself confused um, ah. The next five, yes, yeah, uh, you said Chicago but Minnesota one. Um, you said mm. Miami would beat Jets. You said Philly would beat Arizona. You said Cardinals would beat Tampa. You said New England would beat Houston. So that's another four. Uh, the next one, you only got one out of five because you said Buffalo would win, St. Louis would win, Kansas would win, San Diego would win, and the Giants would win. Only the Giants won. Uh, and you said Seattle would rightly win. So that's 10 out of 16 by my maths. Now we will go through this week. So uh, Carolina versus New Orleans. You're already obviously going Carolina. Dallas versus Chicago. I'm going to give that for the woeful performance of Chicago. I think Dallas can have this. Okay, Seattle versus San Francisco. Still like Seattle. And they like you too, buddy. Uh, <laughs> New York Giants versus San Diego. Uh, I'll have to give it to San Diego. Fair enough. Uh, St. Louis versus Arizona. St. Louis. Yeah, sticking with your home team. Good luck. Uh, Tennessee versus Denver that's a really tricky one to call Denver uh, Minnesota versus Baltimore Baltimore to keep on for uh, the last wild card slot Kansas versus Washington Kansas Buffalo versus Tampa Bay sorry mate Tampa Miami versus Pittsburgh 
Pittsburgh. I like Pittsburgh for a bit of an upset. I don't know that I necessarily see that with it as an upset, but the way the two teams are playing at the moment, to be honest with you, I think it is also at um, Heinz Field as well. So, um, Detroit versus Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Oakland versus the Jets. Oakland. Uh, Cleveland versus New England. Cle uh, no, I nearly say Cleveland. <laughs> New England. No, I have to take your first answer. <laughs> no, New England. Okay, all right, everyone gets one. Um, Atlanta versus Green Bay. I, I, I think Flynn will finally get a win. Uh, Indianapolis versus Cincinnati. Uh, I'm going to give it to the Bungles. Really? Wowzers. Mm. Because of that Bungles defence. I just, I don't know what's going on with Luck, but there's no click between him and his receivers. And finally, Houston, Jacksonville. Did you say you like Jacksonville for the upset on that one? I like Jacksonville, you know. They've come from, like, nothing to something. Oh, fair play. Well, um, that wraps up Marcus's, Marcus's picks for this week um, and that also is going to be the end of our show so all that really remains for, for us to say is um, be sure to get in touch should you want to either come on the show have any questions or comments about our awards or everything we do here um, on Spitball <laughs> then send us an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com tweet us at ballhawksnest Use any of the social media icons at the top of the website. And don't forget, we are also now downloadable on iTunes. And to all of our listeners, stay safe, take care, and thanks for stopping by. Bye.